Welcome to Let's Chat, a platform for discussions around antiretroviral therapies. Today, we are discussing tenofovir alafenamide, or TAF, and its real-world application and best practice within the South African healthcare market. This podcast is brought to you by Activa Health in the interest of education, awareness and support. The content and opinions expressed are entirely those of the healthcare professionals and are not influenced by Activa Health in any way. These TAF podcasts are SOMA accredited. To access the CPD questionnaire, healthcare practitioners can click on the link in the show notes. Today, we chat to Drs. Marlene de Jager and Osman Imbraim about TAF and TB. Dr. Marlene is a general practitioner in private practice at Mealmet in Pretoria, where she is exclusively treating HIV-positive patients. She is involved in several Phase 2 and Phase 3 clinical drug trials as well as observational studies as a sub-investigator or principal investigator. Her areas of interest are the social and psychological impact of HIV diagnosis on the lives of patients the holistic management approach aiming to optimize patient adherence to treatment and management of opportunistic infections and HIV drug resistance. Dr. Osman is a physician and clinical pharmacologist, very experienced in HIV AIDS and infectious diseases. He has demonstrated history of working in medical practice, both public and private, and the pharmaceutical industry. He is skilled in laboratory medicine, clinical research, laboratory skills, infectious diseases, and clinical trials. He is a lecturer in clinical medicine and clinical pharmacology. Dr. Osman currently works in a private practice in Johannesburg. He also teaches doctors at the universities of Pretoria and Witwatersrand, as well as teaching general practitioners after hours on the challenges of treating HIV. Drs. Malien and Osman, thank you for your time. Let's chat. Good morning, Oz. It's great to have you here. Marlene, it's great to see you after such a long time. Yes. What yes. have you got for me today? Because you <laughs> always got some amazing problems for me to solve. And I just hope that th- today I can solve this problem for you. Well, Tell me um, about your um, problem. That's why I've got you here, Oz, because mm. I'm so confident that you'll be able to help me with this. So I want to hear what your thoughts are as we go through this case. So this is a... A typical case that you and I would see in our practices, so I might just well fall right in with it. So it's a 45-year-old man, a policeman, married with two children, and he presents with productive cough, loss of weight, night sweats, on examination. Just hold on, just hold on. Just on this point, uh, how long has he had these symptoms? For about a month. Yeah. And before that, completely well, man, completely no issues, well, no issues, working. Yeah. Yeah. No symptoms whatsoever. And, yeah. and has never been in contact with anybody who was ill or any of these type of. Well, being a policeman, he does move he does, around a lot. Absolutely. So he's in the field. So mm-hmm. there is contact all over the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's pretty much in contact. And, and the other thing I need to ask you at this stage is, I'm sure you maybe might tell me at a later stage is whether he has got, he's a policeman. Uh, you say he's, how old did you just repeat? He's 45. Year? 45. He has no other illnesses? No, no, no hypertension. He's, he's, he's a well, he was a he well 45 well. yeah. year old man. And in pretty good shape as well. Good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. carry on. So right. he started with his symptoms. On examination, he was weighing 60. He said his previous weight was 
67, 68, that was his normal weight. So not a, uh, a huge drop. Big yeah. gentleman, yeah. but mm. quite a drop in mm. weight. Oral candida on the buccal surfaces. And then he also appeared to be anemic clinically. So we ran a few blood tests. HB is 8.9, creatinine 78. Of course, the one big test we also did was an HIV test, which, which and, and, turned and out to be positive. But before you did the HIV test, Marlin, was there any, did you need to counsel him or did you just basically say, listen, this is the situation. Uh, you may have TB and one of the things that, uh, you know, from the way you are talking about your loss of weight, talking about mm. your night sweats, I need to do an HIV. Did, did it take it difficult for you to get that test done or was it no, quite acceptable? State, no, he was quite acceptable. He was quite open to being tested and he took very well to the counseling. He understood the reason why it was necessary for us to do it. And look, he was quite desperate. He was really feeling sick. So he just wanted us to do everything, everything that, that, that was, was needed to that's be done. Great. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we did the HIV test, which turned out to be reactive. And afterwards he was counseled. Um, so the next step was to do the CD4 count and the viral load. The CD4 count was 165 and he had a viral load of 20,000. So then the next step would then, the, the first thing in our minds would be TB or no TB, right? But before that, when you <clears throat> told him, uh, that he had a viral load of 20,000 20, and a CD4 count of one, Remember, you told me in the beginning that this patient is married. Mm, he is yeah. married. So what did you tell him then? Because this is quite a shock for a person to mm. know that he's HIV positive. And what danger has he sort of maybe already passed on to his wife or not? How did you approach this subject? When we broke the news to him that his the HIV test turned out to be reactive, we then obviously asked him whether he knew whether his wife has been had been tested before or not. And when we advised him to also disclose his status to his wife. Yeah. You advised him rather himself to disclose his status rather yes. than you yeah. bring Well he was in. he was quite willing to do so and, and he did do that after Okay. Um, not long after we after we discussed this, he did actually um, disclose to her, and she also went for testing. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. So there was a gene expert done, and we sent away a few sputum samples for AFBs and MCS, and the gene expert actually came out positive. Mm -hmm. And the sputum itself, there were no AFBs. There were. They were, they were AFP. Yeah. And Scanty, when you could, but they were. And the gene expert gave you uh, sensitivity to rifampicin or you just did it to just a gene expert? We just did a gene expert. They, yeah. they normally report it as sensitivity Sensitive. to rifampicin. Yeah. This so particular one didn't. Didn't, yeah. yeah. Okay. But, um, well, looking at the clinical picture, we then went ahead and, and initiated, um, treatment. Okay. Yeah, no, TB treatment. Absolutely. But obviously we would we were waiting for the sensitivity of the uh the TB MCNS of the sputums also. 
Yeah. yeah. For, for me, when I have a patient like this, we've got a diagnosis of tuberculosis, which you get yeah. it on the gene expert, and you've got uh, a diagnosis of HIV with quite a high viral load, quite lowish CD4 count. I like to sit and talk to the patient of what am I going to do? Because for me, the biggest problem with such patients is that they feel that it's HIV that is the issue mm. and not Absolutely. the TB. You are right. Okay? Yeah. And for me here, I need to point out to the patient that it's actually the TB that is actually the danger. The danger. A danger because you can spread it via, yes. uh, you know, mm. speaking to somebody, t- uh, touching, I mean, kissing someone, etc., rather than the, the HIV itself, and that I would like to rather treat the tuberculosis first and worry about the HIV later. Yes. Is, was he, was he, how was, did the patient take? Did he feel it was okay to start with tuberculosis treatment or did the patient feel, no, I, doctor, I want to have my HIV under control because I don't want my wife and my children. You know, they, they bring up all kinds of crazy issues. And those are all understandable because it's all issues that are a patient is being overwhelmed with these two diagnoses. And both of them are massive, HIV and TB. And in in my experience, and it was also the case in this patient, it was quite difficult to um, make him understand that the immediate danger, the one that needs to be sorted out right now, is the tuberculosis. Absolutely. Not only is it a danger to your the people around you, but it is important to first get the TB under control before we bring on board the treatment for the HIV. And then, um, and, and it's one of those things that you also, I find difficult to, to explain to patients that, that the, um, the whole idea of the concept of iris, because, um, you need to explain to them that there is a danger that if we start the ARVs too soon, that you can get more sick instead of getting better. Better. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. So this was, he was no exception, but, he went along with it. And you started the patient on what? So we started him on the standard treatment for TB. We started with the rifampicin, uh, isoniazid, uh, ethambutol and pyrazinamide combination. But Marlene, there's a big shortage of this combination drug at the moment. How did you go about getting, uh, the rifofor? That you are talking about. Did you know that there is a big shortage? Well, I have a contact at one of the clinics. Ah, so well done. I contacted. Yeah, but my that contact. is that is what I'm so impressed that you actually referred the patient to the clinic for. Yes. And this is the sort of thing that we always forget that the clinics are the best place. No, they absolutely exactly, read. and they give the patient this green card. Yes, and this yes. is the way you can monitor if the patient is taking the medication yes. or not, which yes. we can't do in private no, practice. No, we can't. Okay, can't. so yeah. I'm very happy that you did that. Yeah. Well done. No, they they very very good at those clinics, and um, well, this particular patient I referred to one of the bigger clinics in Pretoria, and they are really, really good. So he started with his um, with his TB treatment and um, initially responded very well. But just on this point, there is one problem that the clinic does, which you can correct in your rooms. And one of the things that the TB clinic doesn't tell the patient is when to take the TB medication. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and now a lot of people take TB medication at night, mm-hmm. and that is not a good thing to do. So okay. you're saying that they should rather it should take it in the morning. It should rather be taken in the day. Mm-hmm. I didn't say morning. I mm-hmm. said in the day. In the day. Okay. Yeah. Because it allows us a bit of a leeway when we are thinking further down the line when we are going to introduce the ARVs. The ARVs. Yeah. Okay. True. So we need to be very aware of that. That the TB clinics do not talk about that. Mm. The other thing is that a lot of the people, one of the terrible things about TB medication, and you know that very well, Marlene, is that you become very nauseous, mm, okay? Mm. They don't explain that everything turns orange, yes. that your tears become orange, your urine, urine. becomes orange, even the, the uh, stools becomes orange. They don't tell that to the patient, and the patient gets scared. Yes, and what know? about the peripheral neuropathy? And, and Exactly, but... And they often don't prescribe the pyridoxin. yes. And this is where I think in general practice we should actually step in and help the clinics to make sure our patients are adherent to the medicine. Yes. Because yes. one of the problems with tuberculosis, if you're not adherent, very quickly we develop multi-drug resistance, resistance TB. Yes. So this is something I would definitely encourage for you to see your patient, even if it's gone to the clinic, but to bring them back to your rooms and maybe go over a few of the uh, uh, things that we've just discussed. Absolutely. So as time went on, he he seemed to be coping with the TB treatment and was actually making um, seemed to be making a good recovery. It actually gained um, a few kilograms as well. But then it came to the time of us actually starting uh, now, bringing they, on board the ARVs. Now, there is one thing that, the, again, coming back to the clinic, and this is where you come in as far as treating somebody with tuberculosis. Remember, you, you mentioned before the word iris, mm. okay, the inflammatory yeah. reaction that you can get when you add ARV. ARVs. But treating TB on its own can cause iris. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I, in my practice, when I have such a patient, I always introduce a small dose of prednisone, prednisone right up whilst they are taking TB treatment on its own. Mm. And and there's a, there's a little very important caveat to introducing uh, prednisone to your TB patient. The important caveat is that everybody must understand that your natural steroids in your body follows a biorhythm. Okay, it is secreted maximally at around 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So you must never ever take prednisone before nine, but rather at around 10, 11 o'clock in the, in the, in the, in the morning. And that would help the patient cope better. Mm. Okay. And it's a very important thing, which is often. And then often, how long do you actually prescribe it for? I, I have no problem. I usually start it and carry on for about two weeks. I might start with a 20 milligram dose and, and drop it to and then 10. Taper. And take the tape. I might even go on for a whole month. Mm, mm. Okay. Because what does it do? It helps the patient feel better. Their appetite increase. They feel more alive and they want to take those drugs. Yes, yes. You know? And, and because remember, tuberculosis drugs are not easy to take. If the man is about 60 kilos, he will be taking four of these tablets I plus know. the So it's not easy. Uh, yeah, and they're big, red, ugly things. Yeah, Absolutely. You have to swallow. 
Anyway, we thanks for that. Um, but then it actually came to the time where we had to introduce the ARVs, right? So, Oz, what would you have done? You see, for me, when a patient has got co-infection, all right, we need to think of the drug-drug interaction that's going to happen with the, with the antiretrovirals. And the important thing is that initially, for me, the important thing is to actually not give a drug that's going to interact with the rifampicin. Remember, rifampicin is a very powerful inducer of the liver. So it will break down any drug that you give. Now, if you think about all the antiretrovirals, the one that does not interact at all with rifampicin is efavirenz. And for me, when I have a co-infection with uh, tuberculosis, I always prefer to start with an efavirenz regimen. Mm-hmm. And that for me makes it easy because now I tell the patient you take one tablet when you go to bed and you have your tuberculosis medication when you are taking. Now, the efavirenz can come in the form of either, uh, your, your TL, uh, TEE, you yes. know, which is, or your, even your, with the three TC yes. combination. Yes. That's yes. the way I would start it. Okay, but you can tell me that maybe this was not good because there are terrible side effects of the efavirenz regimen. And I don't know what happened in your case. What happened in your case? Well, the issue was not so much. Uh, the the patient was actually started on uh, a TLD, so tenofovir combined with FTC and dolutegravir. So, but... TLD? TLD then, sorry, lamivudine. Yeah, yeah, lamivudine and and dolutegravir. And um, remember that I mentioned before that um, when we first saw him, his creatinine was 78, which was fine. So we had him come back uh, three weeks after we'd started with um, the ARVs. And but now when you started on the TLD, okay, and, what did you the, have to do? Yes. Because remember, to, rifampicin is going to break down the tolutegravir. So I, did, I, I didn't mention, but we did do that, that we gave him the BD dosing of the, of the dolutegravir. And so he got the fixed think, dose. Okay. And what dose. precaution do you tell a patient? Because now suddenly the patient will be taking the TLD. Yes. How did you arrange that combination? How did you tell the patient what, where, how to take that medication? The, when did they take the TLD and when did they take that extra dose of the, of the dolutegravir? Well, the TLD he was taking in the morning mm-hmm. and the, uh, 12 hours after that, he was taking the single dolutegravir. You see, this is where my problem comes in. Mm-hmm. If, for example, the patient takes it at around, uh, let's say, 9 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning, they would have to take the DTG again at around 8 o'clock eight in o'clock. the evening. Yeah. Now, this is where the problem comes in when you are giving this double. The BD is that yeah. Now, suddenly, their sleep becomes a problem. A problem, yes. And then the patient skips that dose. True. So mm. now there are studies that have shown that maybe we don't need to double the dose, mm. but this is not something we can do as per the correct guidelines at the moment. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. So I prefer the patient takes it two hours earlier. 
around six o'clock mm-hmm. so that hopefully they don't get a sleep disturbance, a sleep disturbance. as you go yeah. further down. We, because remember, they're going to be taking this medication for some time. Yes. Well, it would be even easier then if you stick with the favorins while they are on the TB treatment. Because then but they if just we can't use it in this patient, so this, in this patient right. then we have to stick with the TLD. Yeah. Okay. But getting back to the patient, after three weeks, we checked the kidney function mm-hmm. and the creatinine suddenly shot up to 542. And that was quite a shock. So we immediately stopped the... Uh, ARVs with, because we thought that quite, um, it might be the tenofovir that's causing the problem. And, um, what would your thoughts then be? Well, the, absolutely very important. And you mentioned a creatinine of 500. That's a hell of a, ch- a, hell of a change lot. from 78, from 78 to Basically, yes. we are in, in farminant uh, renal, renal failure. failure yes. And for me, you did the correct thing to stop all ARVs. We must not worry about HIV at the moment. The mm. correct thing is to wait for that kidney to recover. To recover. And what caused that kidney? So we then need to see, was there other things being given that could have accounted? Was mm. non-steroidals being used? Because remember, one of the crazy side effects of taking TB medication is that you develop pain all over. Your joints become very yes. painful. And many, many doctors, or they themselves go to a pharmacy and say, look, I've got pains in my joints. And the first thing they will be given is ibuprofen. Yes. And yes, that absolutely. could have been the cause of the renal failure. Mm. And not so much the tenofovir. So we need to be aware. We need to stop everything and take a good history, find out if there was any other cause Mm. to cause this problem. Okay. But in his case, there didn't seem to be any of that. So So you you, you assume it was the tenofovir. Yes. Yes. We assumed it was. So um, the next step would then be to restart the ARVs once the But what did the recovery of the... Uh, creatinine come down to what did it fall? Did it come back to 78? Did it come back? What was the EGFR? Let's talk about the glomerular filtration rate rather than the creatinine. Okay, the EGFR obviously was, uh, it went down to 20. Okay. Yes. So, um, we kept on monitoring it. Mm-hmm. We didn't actually give him any active treatment, but we kept on monitoring it once we'd stopped the the tenofovir. And um, gradually it started to improve again. So um, after about three weeks, um, the creatinine had gone up, uh, had, had reduced again. It went back to 90. And um, the EGFR had come down to or had gone up to levels of um, 70. Which is which, which is, is good, good. Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So um, we thought that we would want to then again uh, reintroduce um, ARVs. ARVs, yeah. So yeah. what would you have done? Well, absolutely. This is again, I, I would not be able to start with tenofovir regimen. No, no. Because we we know now for a fact that this was a tenofovir effect. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to use that, mm-hmm. but I would want to use. Uh, a back of a back of yes. absolutely. Okay, so that yeah. was our thinking also. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So now, did you have to test the patient for for uh, any uh, before you initiated well, the back of We didn't, but uh, being a, a black man, uh, you know, we thought the chances that he would 
um, have a hypersensitivity reaction were really small. Yeah. So we decided to go ahead and 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 start with with a bacavir. And um, but we did obviously warn him about the hypersensitivity reaction that can occur. And as um, Murphy would have it, he did then actually develop this. But um, immediately when he started with symptoms, we warned him about the itching and not necessarily because in my in my experience, patients don't necessarily develop a rash as such. When they start with this, they develop this itchy sensation. So we warned him that should he develop this, this sensation, that he should let, stop the medication immediately and let us know. And that's what he did. So, um, we stopped and, the And did the, did the itchiness get better? It got better once we stopped the yeah, Because remember, another problem with TB medication is that the itchiness due to INH can mm. start up to Six weeks after initiating therapy. Hmm. So you would be about at the sort of time where you think it is a bacavir when it could actually be the TB but drug. But we can't take a chance. But exactly. So yeah. you did the right thing, okay? Yeah. but you never decided to go on an HLA-5107 well, test? We, we did. See, yeah, we or did. Or did you decide no, no, the no. chances? We actually decided not to go ahead with and yeah. it's the correct thing. I I like that because it's no point taking a chance. Yeah, and no it's point. no point trying to waste money to try and do an HIV. Because the test is At quite expensive. Of, exactly. Very so expensive. rather just stop the drug. Yes, okay. yes. So what would you have done now? Yeah. Now so, we're in a bit of a fix because we can't absolutely. use the back of it. Now, we can't you go would with think that the first thing to use now would be the TAF. Yes. Okay? Because we know that we can use TAF even if the EGFR drops to around 30. Yes. Okay? So it would be a great thing to use. But can we use TAF with rifampicin? And this is the question, that we, is need the question. To be, that we need to go over. And as far as I know, there are no guidelines that says we are allowed to use TAF with mm -hmm. rifampicin. Although we do know that TAF, you know, tenofovir as the alfanimide salt, actually is a intracellular acting tenofovir rather than extracellular. So even if you are using it in combination with rifampicin, you are still getting high enough concentration absolutely, intracellularly. Molly, intracellularly. So you would think that it would be absolutely fine for us to, to use, use it, it because this is the way it is. Now, in a lot of clinical trials, they've shown that maybe given a little bit of extra TAF on its own, but it doesn't, we not have it available in South Africa at the moment. So we can't use the 25 as an extra booster dose like we do with dolitegravir, give that extra dose yes, in the yes. evening. We don't have that combination or a, well, a single, we don't have it a, a single, single, single molecule. Yes. So we can't use it. So my advice here is what are we going to do with this patient? We have got, we can't use, uh, Efavirenz. Mm. We can't. We well, can use efavirenz. No, I thought we, we. The reason we went to TLD. Yeah. Was, okay. Or, but or was that the reason, or it was just started on TLD? It was started it, on because TLD because you're right. I've yes. seen many clinics also just start patients on TLD without even thinking of using. So Efavirenz. I would want to use an efavirenz regimen. Right. Okay. And then the question is, what do we do with the efavirenz regimen? What do you regimen? team it up with? What do you team him up with? We can't use abacavir. No. We can't use TAF. Mm -hmm. We can't use tenofovir. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what are we end up with? So we've got efavirenz on its own and we have 
no other combination that we can use. We can't use protease inhibitors, okay, because they also interact with rifampicin. Yes. Okay, so... Well, we can use alluvia if we... If well, we the, double the, the amount, dose, but that is you can't so use. But alluvia with what? Yes. You can't use alluvia with effavirenz, yeah. so you can't use protease inhibitors, even if you're doubling the dose. Mm. So it, there is actually no combination. So now, what do you do in this case? And my suggestion in this case is that you would need to try and give another dose of a back of beer and see if that is the cause of the itchiness. Okay? Well, then because would you I not would rather than do, do the HLA, HLA testing? Absolutely. Yes. And if my HLA came out negative, then you would as go, you know, in black patients, the chances are oh, very, very low. Okay? Yeah. I would oh, then, sorry, I would then, low, I would, yes. I would then want to reintroduce on a back of your regimen because you don't have anything else. You can't use any other, you can't use a real pivrin, for example. No. You can't because they all interact. So you have no choice but to use a combination involving a back of your. Mm-hmm. And it is a very, and this is where now this sort of patient cannot be managed in general practice. It has to be managed by mm. a team. And I say team. Of specialists. Okay, but I want to throw uh, a cat among the pigeons a bit. Would you consider dual therapy in this You patients? see, again, if you go with lamivudine and dolutegravir and double the dose, yeah. you can't. You cannot because there is no data, data. on that. No evidence. And absolutely great suggestion, Marlene. Mm. Absolutely great suggestion, but there's no data. And, and in fact, I am going to be giving a talk soon on dual therapy. And one of the caveats mm. is you have to be sure mm. that your patient does not have TB before you use dual yeah, therapy. You have to. Because there's no data that doubling the dose in a combination which is not as potent mm. as a triple regimen for you to use that. True. So it's a bit dicey. It is a very dicey situation. And I would rather sit and think, is this really on the back of your rash? Okay, another question from my part is, would you then, if you are in such a fix with this patient and your choices of, of ARVs are limited, uh, would you consider rather letting him complete his TB treatment and then bringing the ARVs? No, this board? is the best suggestion you have, mm. is there is no harm in doing exactly mm. that mm. because you have a CD4 count which is 167 which is I think not, which is not that not bad great, but, not too but bad. if you are monitoring yeah. your patient the viral load is not bad mm. I would say complete the TB treatment the six months remember this is pulmonary TB mm. we don't have to treat longer than six yeah, months yeah. Yeah. and let's just go for that yeah. that yeah. is the safest thing for the patient mm. and then you open the door to have so many combinations to use and yeah. then TAF would come in because then it would be a great drug because we have a patient that had a, a renal insult and now we can use now it. Now we can use it, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely right. Well, thanks, Oz. Yeah, always great to talk to you. And yeah, it's a insights. pleasure. It's a great yeah, case. Great well done. Case. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much.